We've been in this series of messages over the last few weeks called Imagine the Fully Devoted Life. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're imagining what our lives would be like if we looked just like Jesus and acted just like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but my life would look a whole lot different. Because I know that in everything that I do, I'm not always Christ-like. And there are areas in my life that I need to work on and I need to be better in. And that's been the really cool thing about this series because we've been learning about practical ways in which we can really develop into this person who's Christ-like, not only in character, but also in our actions, our behaviors, and everything that we are. And all of us need growth. None of us are perfect in any way. And we all need specific help in certain areas of our life that have just been weaknesses for us. And that's the cool thing about God, because God wants us to know our weaknesses, not to make us feel like we're terrible people necessarily. We know we all have sin, but he reveals that to us to help us see that there's hope that we can be better. Unfortunately, many people look at their Christian life and they begin to think that it's all oh, this big downer. I'm a terrible person. I'm a bad person. God always makes me feel bad about myself or this or that. And that's really not the relationship that God wants to have with us. Yes, there are times that we do things we shouldn't do. Absolutely. But God's not the one who just only wants to see that and make us feel terrible or be punished for that or to push us down. He wants us to see that, yeah, there are areas of weaknesses. There are things that happen in your life because of it. Yes, there's discipline. Yes, there's judgment there. But the hope is that you experience the love that God has for us so that we can be better. This is the cool thing about God. God does everything for us because he loves us. Isn't it awesome to know that you have a dad when he disciplines us? He disciplines because he loves us. Aren't you glad that there's a dad who loves us enough that he wants us to make the very most of our lives to help us see the, the possibilities of who we can be? In fact, that's one of the reasons why he sent Jesus, to help us see what our life could be like if we just took on the character and the lifestyle of Christ himself. So I see him and what he's like as we hear about the stories of Jesus and know about what he's done for us. And then we compare ourselves to him to see, okay, this is a place where I need to change. This is a place where I need to be better. We know that one of the main areas in our life that needs help is something that defines Jesus in one of the most positive ways. And it's the word sacrifice that we would be willing to make sacrifices and to make sacrifices for the right things. Sometimes it's hard for us to give up things where we know we need to give up because we want something for ourselves. Yet Jesus was willing to give up everything for the good of all of us. Sacrifice really defined who he was. When we think about our nation and think about who we are as a country, that word sacrifice really is a word that describes why we are who we are in our nation today, because people were willing to give up their lives for this country. This past week, uh, we had the great privilege to celebrate Veterans Day, and um, what an incredible time for us just to remember what people have done for us, but to also honor people who've made those sacrifices for us. I'm just going to ask, if you're a veteran in here today, would you stand, any of our veterans who are here, would you just stand around the worship center? Awesome. We have a few of you here today. Awesome. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much for your service. And what a great example you are to us. Just as Jesus gave his life 
so that we could know God and his kingdom. There are people who are willing to serve and serve with the potential of giving their lives so that we could be a nation. It's that kind of sacrifice that changes everything. So when we look at our lives and we look and notice things about us that need to change, what sacrifices are we willing to make for that change to really come about? I mean, is the vision of imagining a life like Christ, is that strong enough for us to really want to make a difference and, and to be able to do things differently so that we can be that? We've learned that there are four different disciplines that are a part of this. Uh, and we call them the four T's. The first one is this, our testimony. We need to discipline ourselves to be like Christ in telling people our story about how God changed us, how God loves us, and how he sent Jesus to die for us and be resurrected. Jesus spent his life sharing with other people about how much God cared for them. So for me to be like Christ, I need to be like him and share my testimony, share my, my story with other people. I'm like Christ in that way. Another is this, my time, that I need to have an intimate relationship with God. I remember in the scripture, we hear Jesus praying. And, and when Jesus was pray, praying to God, you could sense this intimacy between himself and God. As he talked to him as his father, and he is the son, you really felt like, man, there was such a strong connection between them. And for us to be like Christ, we need to have that same kind of intimate connection. And we do it when we make time for him to pray to him and talk to him and to listen to him and to get into God's word and to hear what he has to say to us. It's another discipline. A third discipline is that of talents. And we talked about that the last couple of weeks, that we have been given abilities to serve and to help other people. Jesus's life was marked by a life of service, that he would see people, notice people who were ill or sick or uh, alienated socially from other people and would include them in his circle and to meet their need, whatever that need was. For us to be like Christ, we're to use our gifts to do the same thing. So for us to be like Jesus, then we need to make the sacrifices in order for us to do that. And the final T is treasures. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Treasures have to do with our investment of giving resources, financial resources, to help build the kingdom of God so that more and more people can come to know that God loves them. One of the reasons why we can say this is to be like Christ is because of Christ's own teaching, because when you listen to what he said to other people, he taught other people about how to give. He taught people of the importance of giving financially to make sure that the needs of other people were met. So when we hear about this today, I want you to think about it in that way. Jesus teaches us these things. Jesus teaches us how it is that we're to be. And much of what I'm going to be sharing with you today has everything to do with that. Now, people have different responses when you hear a, a message about giving in the church. Uh, one is they love it because, hey, they believe in giving, they give, they're invested in this, and they're a part of it. Some people hate it because it's like, oh, my soul, there they go again. They're always talking about money in the church and uh, by the way, we, I mean, we talk about it during the offering and giving, but I, I honestly probably should preach on it more. I don't want to take a survey because I'm afraid of what the survey may say. Okay. But anyway, uh, we don't really, I don't preach about it an awful lot, um, but they hate it. They hate hearing it. They're always trying to guilt me into giving and make me feel bad about my life and all this. And by the way, let me remind you what I just said about God just a minute ago. It's not about trying to make us feel bad about everything in our life. It's about leading us to be the people that we can be 
to find joy, okay? I want you to understand that. But you hate it. They're always after me about giving. That, that's the response. Some people have another response. I need it. Some hate it. Some, you know, love it. And other people is like, I need it. I, I know I should be giving and I'm not giving or I should be obedient. I'm not obedient. And I really need to hear this. Even though it might sting a little bit when I hear certain things, I really know I need to hear this. This is what I believe about Christians. I believe every Christian wants to give financially. I honestly believe that. You're saying, I don't want to give. I don't think you're telling the truth. Okay, if you're a Christian, if you really know God, if you really have Christ in your heart as your Savior, I believe that, that you want God to be God over all of you and not just certain parts of you. Because that's what the Christian life is about. And finance is a part, is, is a part of that. So I honestly believe that every Christian wants to give. The problem is that they either don't feel like they can give or it's not a strong enough passion that they're willing to make the changes that they need to make to give. So I'm going to be kind of talking about that today. Y'all, this is a really practical message today. This is not a judgment message. I mean, it's nothing, hopefully none of the messages that I share are that way. But I want you to understand that this is not something to try to push you down today. It's something to help all of us be better. Okay, that's where this is all coming from. Why should we give? The reason why we should give is because people's lives are on the line. In fact, it gets to the goal today of the message where we, I titled the message today, The Giver, and the, the imagined goal is to imagine a life that invests in eternity. And that's what's on the line here. When I give, I'm helping other people come to know who God is, but also to have a relationship with God so that they can spend eternity with God in heaven. And y'all, that's a really good reason why we should give because we're making eternal investments and not temporary investments. First practical thing then is, what is the expectation? What is it that I should give? A lot of people have a lot of different ideas about the scripture that I'm about to read to you right now because people want to take it this way or see it this way or see it another way. But we look in the scripture in the Old Testament and we hear a word used that talks about an amount. It's a mathematical term that helps us understand what the expectation of giving is. It's found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe, there's the word, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. They hear that word tithe and they look at it in different ways. Some people say, okay, I understand the word tithe. The word tithe is a mathematical term. I just said that. It's, it means a tenth. It's a, a word for a percentage, all right? So a tithe is a tenth. So they look at that and say, well, I understand they did that in the Old Testament. And that's what they were supposed to do back then for the temple and everything. But that doesn't necessarily apply to the way it is now. That, that's not the same thing. Um, or they say, well, they really didn't have their idea of a tithe. Now, our idea of a tithe is a different thing. They, they come up with all of these different explanations or understanding. Y'all, I honestly, um, I'm just going to take it for what it says because that's the only way I know to take it right now because I don't have the explanations of all the other things. So what I'm going to say, what, this is what I understand the meaning of it to be. When it says a tenth, it means a tenth of this in this time. And people begin to have a really hard time about, why should I give 10% of my money to 
to God. Why should I do this? Let me just ask you a question. Don't you wish the government would just tax you 10%? Do I have a witness out there from anybody? Wouldn't that be awesome? We have this 90-10 thinking that we should have. We keep thinking about the 10% that we you know, have to give up or whatever. But the, the positive part of this is God trusts us with 90% of the other money for us to use the way in which you know, is seen fit and only ask for this other 10% to make an investment into kingdom work. And y'all, to be honest with you, here's the deal about, about the New Testament and Jesus's teaching and other things that we hear. You know, we hear about the word tithe 13 different times in the Bible. But when you're talking about giving in the New Testament, y'all, it was a thing of sacrifice. It was not only a thing of obedience, it was a thing of sacrifice. So if we're looking at our life and saying, man, it's only 10%, it, it, my, under, my thought many times about it is like, why is it only 10%? Some people come and it's like, man, 10%. And then other people are like, why, why is it only 10%? I mean, couldn't more be done if it were greater than 10%? Absolutely it could. But there's a standard. We all need something to look at our life and to have a measurement by which the expectation is. What's the expectation? Let's just say it's giving that 10%. Okay, that ideal given 10%. So practically, that's where we're going to start. So why do I do it? Because it is an investment. Number one on your outline sheet, let's fill it in right now. It says this, I am to be obedient and in investing. Investing is important and uh, depending on where you are in your life, uh, it has even greater importance. I'll give you just a personal example for me. As I get older, retirement becomes more and more important in investing in retirement. And uh, as I get older, I make, I go through more of a process of thinking about what I buy before I buy it because I'm thinking about how is it going to affect my retirement? You know, when I retire, am I going to have enough money to live on or whatever? Okay, how's it going to affect my retirement? So if it, there are a couple of thoughts that I have when I'm buying things. One of the thoughts is, will it fit in our condo? That's a good question, right? Uh, the second question is this, will it break? How much is it going to cost for me to buy this thing? I mean, how much is it going to cost me to fix this thing if it breaks? Boats break. Do I have a witness out there from anybody, right? I loved a boat. Earlier on in my life, I had many different boats. It's embarrassing, okay? Many different boats. But I was in a different position in my life, earlier on in my life, where resources or whatever were different for me. I was thinking differently about it. It's no big deal, okay, if it breaks. Now, if you buy something and it breaks, it means money can't be used for retirement, it's got to be used to fix something. So it goes into my head about, should I really buy this or not? I'm making a decision related to a temporary circumstance that's going to happen in my life because eventually it's not going to matter how much money I have because I'm going to be out of here just like all of us. So and when I was thinking about that this week, just preparing for this message, I started thinking, you know, if I put that much attention, asking myself a question about, should I buy this? How's it going to affect my retirement, which is temporary? Then why am I not asking the question, if I buy this, how is it going to affect people for eternity? If I buy this, how is it going to keep me from being able to make the investment that I need to make in to other people's retirement? It's an eternal retirement in heaven. So I want you to think about that. It's just a practical way, y'all. Again, I know this 
kind of sting, and for me too, when I'm thinking about this, might sting just a little bit thinking about it, but I want you to think about it in retirement. I'm either going to be concerned about my retirement on earth, or I'm going to be concerned about other people's retirement in heaven. That's what I need to think about. Now, it might be something else for you that you're thinking about other things that you want to purchase, or I get it, I understand that. Well, for us to get this, what we need to do is to know where we are. Practical information, no judgment. You're one of four types of givers. You're either a non-giver or a non-investor. So right now you're not giving money uh, to God's kingdom work through the church or through whatever. That might be who you are. Y'all, this is a good thing. You're probably saying, why is that a good thing? It's because you know it, okay? If you know that's who you are, that's the first part of fixing the issue and the problem in your life, right? So this is a good thing. So if that's you, Cool, you're a non-giver. The next one is a partial giver, all right? We're using the tithe, the idea of a tithe, all right? I don't give a full tithe. I might give 1% or 9% or whatever. And I would encourage you this in your giving, uh, and I've mentioned this many times before, not to think about when you give, to think about a dollar amount, but to think about a percentage amount. And the reason why I say that is because that's the way it was done in the Bible when it's talking about tithe. It didn't say give, you know, $20.30, whatever, whatever, okay? It just says this percentage amount. But what happens many times, it's easy for us to do this, uh, an offering plate may come by, that would be pre-COVID, okay? Or, you know, you drop something in a basket or whatever it may be, you drop in a 20, drop in a 10, whatever, and you put that offering in. And y'all, that's great. That's awesome. That's so appreciated very much. But when you look at that amount that you put in related to what percentage of that does that represent of my entire income, it might freak you out a little bit. It may just freak you out a little bit. So we encourage people to think about a percentage, to start somewhere. I, for Jennifer and I, y'all, this is not bragging at all. Tithing has never been an issue for me and Jennifer. As I mentioned earlier, we both grew up in a Baptist church with Baptist pastors, Baptist moms, why is Baptist so important? Because you better tithe in a Baptist church. You hear what I'm saying? It's almost that you feel that way. But I grew up, that was the culture that I grew up in. It was never mine. It was never, and it was almost like your income. And, and here's the thing about, you know, when you look at taxes, I mentioned taxes just a minute ago. And um, when you look at a tithe, taxes, you don't have a choice in. Tithe, you do. Taxes, they take it out of your salary before you even get your check, right? Tithes, it's still there. But when you're in a Christian mindset, we really need to think of it in this way. It's almost like when I get this check, y'all, I'm trying to be really practical here, okay? When I get this check, I see this thing that says this much for FICA, this much for this, this much for this, and we ought to just automatically just write in something else in there that says tithe this amount. That'd be pretty cool to put that actually on the pay stub because it's not really yours, are y'all getting this? Now, some of you don't get a pay stub. I get it. But the visual of that was really good. Don't you think that was really good? But just think about it in that way, that I can give it in that way. Just a practical way to think about it, okay? So that's a partial giver. So give in percentages. I want to give. I'm going to start giving 2% or 4% or 6% or whatever to move up to a tithe. The whole giver is a person who gives the whole tithe, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. This is where all this comes from. And then the last one is this. It's the overgiver. And the overgiver is somebody who says, you know what? I'm going to give more than 10%. It's over and above your tithe. And you might give it toward certain things. 
An example of that is we just built this building and redeveloped our land and all this stuff with this park. We had many people give over and above their tithe as an offering to help us do those ministries. We have annually people who give extra money for missions to help support kids uh, through B-Town and through our mission trips and other things that we do over and above their tithe to help make a difference. That's what an offering is. So you're in one of these four different things. Practically, that's where we are. Okay, if I'm going to change, then I need to work on what's inside of me. That's number two on your outline sheet, and I'm going to call it a, a, a heart setting. I am to have the right heart setting. Now let's get into what Jesus taught about this. It's found in Luke 12 where he said, And do not set your heart, heart setting, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. So Jesus himself is talking about, look, there's this stuff out, you're running after this stuff, and this is what you're trying to gain and what you're trying to get for your life. He uses that term, run after. So what is it that we're run after, running after? What we run after is our treasure, okay? Our treasure is the most important thing to us. It's what's most valuable. That's what I treasure the most in my life. I run after that. In other words, I do things in my life. I, I make decisions in my life to get whatever it is that I treasure that's most valuable to me in my life. That's what I do. And one of the ways we can know what that is is to look at how we invest our money. What am I spending my money on? Am I spending my money to get something here or am I spending it in other ways, in service, whatever, okay? But am I trying to get it in this way? Jesus knew the importance of this thought because he said in a few verses later, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you value most, your heart is gonna be committed to that thing and you're gonna run after it. You're gonna try to get it whatever it is. So what is it that you're trying to get? There are two different types of heart settings. One is the self-kingdom setting. So I get things that benefit me. It's, what about, it's, it's about what I get that are good for me. It's not necessarily about what I give to, you know, to benefit other people. So it's more of a personal thing. It's more of a, a self-centered type of heart that we would have. So what does that self-centered heart look like? I want to share with you another thing that Jesus said in this same passage, this area, where he talked about this. He said this, verse 22, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Jesus gave us the telltale sign to tell us what our treasure is. And that telltale sign is called worry. As a sailor, um, there are two very important uh, pieces, the least expensive things on a boat. Absolutely the least expensive things you can get on a boat. Uh, they're telltales. This is where this telltale, y'all heard that, this is where it comes from. They're telltales. They're two little pieces of yarn, okay, that attach to either side of a sail, at the same location on either side. That way, when the wind's coming this way or the wind's coming through, you can tell the wind's there. Uh, when the wind's on this side, the, it'll fly straight back. It's coming the amount, the right amount of wind. When it's on this side, it'll have the right amount of wind. Okay, they're both flying straight back when the sail is set right. But if there's not enough wind on one side of the sail, the telltale luffs. The telltale tells us something. That's why it's a telltale, 
right? It luffs. And what it says is it's not getting enough wind on this side. The exposure to the wind is not enough on this side. Now, the problem is if both of those things aren't flying straight back, it changes how quickly you can move forward. And if there's too much wind on one side of it, it will, it will even change the direction of your boat. You know, a lot of times we think about the rudder uh, and how it controls us. It does, you know, even a boat, you control it. But you know what? If your rudder broke, if you're a good enough sailor, you could actually use your sails to steer a boat. That is, if the right amount of wind is coming on both sides of the sail in the right direction. If it doesn't, you luff and you stall or you go the wrong direction. Worry is one of those tales. Peace is a tale. Worry is a tale. God wants them both as peace to be flying straight back. I'm at peace with God. I'm exposed to the wind, the spirit of God. He's leading me in everything I'm doing. It's going straight back, and I am moving in the direction of God. But when I move away from God, all right, if I move away from God and start thinking about myself, what happens is it starts luffing. And here's how I know I've done it. I start worrying about things that I'm not going to get for my happiness. It might be my body. It might be something else that I have. It might be something that I need to own. Because what I believe is, whatever that thing is, that's what's going to give me happiness in my life. And I have to have it. And therefore, if I'm worrying about it, I know that my mind and my heart is off. That it's not set on the right things. What are some of the things that we can worry about? I just gave you, he mentioned three things. I just want to give you, again, practical things on your outline sheet. We focus on the type of meal that we eat. He said this, don't worry about the food. Don't worry about what you eat. How can we take that in a practical way? Y'all, uh, what we need to survive is bread and water, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, when the people were wandering in the wilderness, God gave them manna. In other words, we could think of it this way. They were wholeless honey nut Cheerios. Does that sound good? Because what a, a manna was, it was like a flat wafer that had a seed in it, which kind of nutty, and it tasted like honey. Honey nut Cheerio. Doesn't it sound like that to you, to me? That's all they needed to survive as they went around in the wilderness. That's what they needed. But some people move up. I need a, man, I need a hamburger and I need a cheeseburger and fries from McDonald's. Or, or for me, it's a cheeseburger without pickle and fries, because if it's without pickle, they got to make it fresh, y'all. Just giving you a little wisdom, okay? Just giving you a little idea. If you like pickles, carry them in your car or whatever. I hate pickles, so it helps me out. But you, you need something more. Other people, it's like a lobster dinner. I got to have a lobster dinner. You know, I have to have this. I have to have this. Y'all, nice meals. You're probably thinking, where are you going to? I, I'll give you this. I got to have my blank every day. You want to the, the blank is? Yes, yeah, Starbucks. Somebody yelled it out. Some people say that all the time, Starbucks. Y'all, it's not wrong to, listen to me. I'm not saying those things are bad, but can we be okay with it if I get that and it's keeping me from making the investment that I should be making in someone's eternity? Now it's stung, right? Y'all, this is for me too. Is it keeping me? Another one uh, is our body, all right? We focus on our bodies. What is it going to be that for my body that I'm going to spend my money on and make my body better? A lot of people, you know, like uh, the cosmetic industry is huge right now. You know, the cosmetic surgery. And y'all, I'm not saying anything is bad about that. I, y'all, I really, honestly, 
I would love a lifestyle lift. I need one. Y'all, the skin, it just is everywhere. If I had two hands, you'd be thinking, yeah, let's take up an offering right now for Tim. That's what you would be doing, right? Because you'd say, you're right, Tim, you really do. It's like, how do you do that? The wind is like, is it pushing you back? That's the way you'd feel about me right now. But I look at that. I even, y'all, I've had cosmetics. It hadn't been cosmetic. It's been, I've had a lot of... Uh, cancer, skin cancer, because I had really light skin, and I'd had it all over my, I've had, I don't know, I've lost count literally how many, but I've had some on my face, and two times, I asked the dermatologist, when you're sewing it up, can you just pull some extra skin back, literally, and they refused, I was shocked, okay, but anyway, we look at that, and we say, man, we spend money on our cosmetic, y'all, that's not necessarily a bad thing, honestly, I know people who have had it, who've done it, it's awesome. It's great. And it's for some really awesome and great reasons. But can I feel okay about it if it's going to keep me from making the investments that I should be making in someone's eternity? That's the question. Is it going to keep me from hitting the goal? Is it going to keep me from honoring God and being that whole tither or whatever it is? Here's another one. It's about our fashion. It's about the type of clothes that we wear. Y'all can't get into this. I'm running out of time big time, all right? But we focus on our fashion. You know, if I buy this, can I feel good about this? Y'all, I mentioned I'm a sneakerhead. I got a ton of shoes. I do. Jennifer, it's just, you know, I think she's praying for me, actually. But anyway, uh, you know, I have a ton of shoes. But the question is, Am I going to be, can I feel okay about this, getting this, and I can't feel okay about it if it's keeping me from doing something that I should be doing for eternity, okay? So there's some just little examples of that. Let's move on, okay? It's not only the, the self kingdom, it's the God kingdom setting. My heart needs to be set on God's kingdom. In Matthew, it says this, uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first... Okay, the kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness. But seek first his kingdom, it's God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So what, what he's talking about is like, put God first, and when you put God first, do the right things. If God's first, am I spent all things, okay? I need right in every part of my life, but in my giving, if God's kingdom is first, am I doing the right things related to how it is that I'm using money? Because when he was talking about this in the scripture, that's really what he was dealing with was this whole issue about how people were doing this and how they were making investments. So how are we supposed to do it? We're supposed to really care about people, really care about people who are hurting and know that if we don't do something, it's going to have an impact on that person's life. This is what Jesus said about this in Luke 12. Sell your possessions and, and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. I love it how things connect. Remember a little while ago, I talked about our treasures. Jesus said something about your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now he's saying where the treasure should be. The treasure is in heaven. Who are the treasure? Who's in heaven? It's the people that we know who need to get there. They are our treasures in heaven. They're the ones that we value so much that we want them to get there. Enough so that we are willing to sell our stuff in order for us to live up to the expectation, to be obedient and to give to make this eternal investment, that I'm willing to sell my stuff. 
I mean, there have been people who've made some really big life changes because God's just convicting them in their heart about, man, I'm just so out of balance here about my life and, you know, what I'm living for and do I need this? Do I need that? Whatever. Which really has brought in this whole idea of minimalism. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Minimalism is what, it, what do I really need and what will I be able to do with what I don't need? So it's that question, it's that poor thing that we give up things that we have for the sake of other people. So I want to talk to you about uh, just a giving class system right here. This sounds weird too, I know. But let me give you an idea of the the giving class system. First of all, there's the poor, okay? The poor have needs. We just heard about that because the people sold their uh, gifts or their possessions to help meet those needs. That's a class of people, the poor. One of my favorite scriptures is when Jesus taught the disciples about this widow woman who gave some money. Let me read to you really quick. Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Okay, you see two different types of people. You see somebody who's poor who gave and see somebody who was wealthy who gave. Different class systems. What's interesting to me about this is this poor woman gave money, even though it wasn't an amount that was greater than the others, it came from a heart that was more committed than others. It said this, that she gave out of her poverty. What in the world does that mean? This is what it means to me. That she gave knowing what it felt like to be poor. When she gave, she knew what she was giving to because she was giving to help people just like her. So when she gave in her poverty, she knew exactly the difference that she could be making when she was giving it. I have no statistical background for, uh, back, back up for this whatsoever. It's just, I just assume this is true. I would think that people who grew up in poverty and worked their way out of poverty, who began to make money, are more apt to give money to help poor than other people. I'm just assuming that, and the reason why I'm making an assumption of that is because they know what it's like to be in that situation, to be poor. And if we were all in that same situation, I think it would radically change our mindset and how we viewed this of people being poor. There are other different classes. There's the middle class. What does the middle class do? The middle class meets needs. It said this in the other scripture that I just uh, mentioned a minute ago, not the one about the, the widow, but uh, the one about selling their possessions, y'all, these were middle-class people. They were at least middle-class people because they had possessions that they had that they could sell so they could give to other people. Which means this, they were in a position to be able to meet needs financially, not in a way that this, this widow could, but in a much greater way. And putting that to the next class, the rich people, the upper class, meet more needs. Which means this, you talk about 10% of a widow's might, and you talk about uh, 10% of a middle class, and 10% of the money keeps going up and up. We hear this all the time, we're going to take from the rich to give to the poor. I hate that statement. I hate it. This is what it should be. Be rich so you can give to the poor. 
it should be a heart desire for us that we want to give to the poor. It's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to have a desire to be rich if your desire to be rich is to help more people because you have more to give. That comes out of a heart. All right, let's get to the third thing. And this will be really quick. Uh, I am to live by the right investment plan. Just a practical thing here again, all right? It's very practical. We read the scripture just a few moments ago about uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. So where does his kingdom rate in your world? I want, when I talk about an investment plan, I'm basically talking about a budget. So if I'm doing a budget, where is God on my budget plan? Uh, what is, where is he as a priority? Our priorities determine our giving. We invest in things that are our priority. Okay, that's how we use our money. It's priority, we'll get to it. So where is God on this? Is he first on the priority list? Uh, that would be a certain type of investment plan. We'll call that the top budget plan. He's first. I'm going to get to him first, no matter what, everything falls underneath him. Here's another type of investment plan. We're just trying to figure out where he is in our budget. Y'all. This, no judgment. Just look at our life and see where he is. The middle budget plan. He's either second or next to last. He's somewhere in there. When I look at my budget and realize that, then I need to be asking myself a question, again, just to help myself out. What am I prioritizing above him? And why am I, priority, why am I prioritizing those things above his kingdom? Why am I doing that? Because it's either his kingdom or self, a God kingdom or self kingdom. Those are hard things, right? So why am I putting those other things before him? It could be second. It could be all the way next to last. Here's the last one. Uh, the next one. The last budget plan. I give to God, but it's the last thing. If I have money left over, then I'll give. It's the same thing. Just to ask myself a question. Uh, why, why, is that, why do I feel that way? Or why is, it that the way, why is this the way I give? And then what we need to be thinking about is, okay, if this is the way I'm going to give, then I need to ask myself a question. Why am I spending what I make? Why am I living on the verge of, I just have enough money to cover my bills kind of thing? Because when you have that mindset, God gets off the list. In fact, that goes to the last budget plan. It's the absent budget plan that he's not even on the budget. What I would encourage you to do, and hopefully you have a budget, but to put him on the budget plan. Obviously, he should be at the top of the budget plan because he's a priority. I mean, I should think about him before I make any other decisions in my life. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. Again, it's a convicting thing here. If you don't have a budget, have a budget. But number one on your budget should be God's kingdom. That should be the first thing. Because the first thing that I see every time when I open up that budget is going to be God's kingdom. And then it's going to make me really think about what I do the rest of those lines down below that budget. May not make any difference at all. Does that mean um, he's number one, that I'm giving my full tithe? Uh, You might not be giving your full tithe, but you can still put him number one on your budget. Because you're working toward giving your full tithe. 
He is my priority, so therefore, I'm going to make decisions related to all these other things on my list to make sure that I adapt that, sell my possessions, do this, do that, whatever it is, in order for me to live up to the standard that God has given me and given my tithe. So you're saying, I can't put him number one because I'm not tithing. Put him number one and start giving and investing and knowing every decision you make has something to do with that investment. By the way, it's an eternal investment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I want to encourage you, again, just this is a helpful message to me. I don't know if it is for you. I need to think about these things in a, in a way that makes sense to me. You need to do the same. But what I do believe is I believe that all of us want to make a difference eternally for God. And I believe that all of us really do want to give. If we're Christians, I really believe that. So I'm going to pray in just a minute. And I just want to encourage you to pray that God would give you wisdom about the decisions that you need to make in order for you to live up to this fully devoted life that we're talking about. I would even pray and ask God to send people in your life, you know, that you know who are in need or that he would reveal needs of people in your life. That you know that by giving, it's going to make a difference. It's going to impact that person by giving. All these are personal decisions, y'all. They're all personal. I want you to have two telltales that fly back because you are moving directly toward God and are at peace with Him. The good thing about this is when we stop worrying about things, we start living with joy to live for him. So as I pray, you pray. Father, thank you for teaching us today. God, use it in the way you see fit. I pray, God, that uh, as I, again, have heard this myself, I pray, God, that it would be something that is at the forefront of my mind and my attention, God, as I do what I do. God, I pray that we would be reminded that we're making eternal investments in everything that we invest in. It's either allowing us, God, to help people in their eternity, or it's keeping us, God, from helping other people find the eternity they need in you. And God, I just pray that you would help us to feel the weight of that, the heavy weight of that, but also the heavy love that we have for you and for others that we want them to see you. Thank you for what you taught us today, God, and help us be the people, God, that you've imagined us to be to be like your son, Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen and amen.